Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder, where I speak to artists and musicians about their survival, how they've been able to prioritise the very thing 
that we know them for. On this episode, Teenage Sequence, aka Devon Dean Sumery. Teenage Sequence has its first two tracks out, All This Art and The City Is Hungover. They're both brilliant. If you know of Devon's old bands, Bleach Blood and The King Blues, you'll know it's a departure from his usual sound into something more electronica and synthy. Thank you so much for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. This will be the last episode of 2021. Fingers crossed we'll have a lot more guests in 2022. East London's signature brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Sports Team, Hot Chip and so many more. They're the official beer of 101 part-time jobs, which means that if you go to their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, with the voucher code 101podcast, all capitals, you can get 10% off your order there. Saity Socks in Brighton have a new range of seriously soft socks made from organic cotton in Europe and delivered to you in sustainable packaging. You can get 15% off your order on saityssocks.com. That's S-E-I-T-Y with the voucher code 101SOCKS, all capitals. 10% of all profits go to Gig Buddies who enable people with learning difficulties to fully enjoy their communities through attending live music events. It's all our responsibilities to be inclusive to everyone, to our events and concerts and Gig Buddies provide a brilliant way to do that. This is Teenage Sequence, Devon Dean Sumery on 101 part-time jobs. We start off from when we first met in a pub in High Wycombe where his band at the time left a wad of cash in a bin liner and then some people we knew took it back to them at their gig in London the next week. Cheers for listening. Go well. Cheers! He drinks in spite of himself. He must have been one of the first people I might have thought, you know, I put on a pedestal in a way that I was just like, you're fucking amazing. You're playing a pub down in High Wycombe. <laughs> you know, like, where do these people come from? <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember that pub in High Wycombe. Didn't we? I mean, I, I think that was the show where, like, we, we like, left all of our money at the show. And that's, yeah. <laughs> a bun- uh, like, a bunch of kids were like, yeah, we found this bag. Because we get, like, back then we, like, we kept on, it was, like, in a bag or something. <laughs> and, um... And the, a bunch of kids, who I think, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but I'm sure you were friends with them. You may well have been in a band with them, right? Yeah, I think I knew I knew of them. They're, they're yeah. sort of in our circle. And it was the thing like, oh, yeah, the the the, the band left all this money and we're going to go, yeah, we're gonna go up to London and <laughs> give it back. To- yeah, exactly. They, they seem to have left a bag of money and uh, we're going to go to the 12 bar. Because we were playing the 12 bar and they came down to it and it was just like yeah brought up very well <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i like i can assure you if that was a london show right like yeah. that bag of money would be long gone those kinds of small town scenes are just so vital to to what we're doing if anyone's listening to this and thinking oh there's a there's a place in my town that i might be able to put on shows and i might there's a few bands i think of to get in touch with whoever you are you should totally do that yeah absolutely like and it kind of it largely doesn't matter what the genre of mm-hmm. music is mm-hmm. but like those like those grassroots small town shows are ultra ultra important and you know keep an eye out for your local bands and put them on my whole takeaway one of my main takeaways from like punk rock this is where i and you know i go out and in here and say yourself as well giles um come from is that with 
without those small scenes doing something and providing a platform for like a London-based band or like a, if you want a bigger city band to come and play and experience, like you chop off new bands at the legs there. Without that, it, yeah. it, it doesn't yeah. exist. And, you know, also on that note, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? So anyone listening to this who is in like a big city band, you know, like your Londons and Manchesters and whatnot, um, go and play those small towns because they're some of the best shows you will ever play. And people, mm-hmm. you know, if you, it's like you make the effort, right? Mm-hmm. If you make the effort to turn up and go and play a garage in like Aberystwyth, which I've done, um, people remember that and people care about that. And they appreciate that you've, you know, you've come to their town. You've not asked them to come to like, the big city near them it it goes a real long way totally and even you know the the premise of of this podcast is is that conversation of of survival of of making it happen being able being able to make it a sustainable thing right and mm-hmm. selling records and selling merch and making those 80 quids when you need it that that's such a big part of 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 being a, being an artist or being a musician or or doing whatever you're doing on on tour and and those are those shows where you know that, that stuff happens there yeah exactly those are the shows that um like they transcend money and like i i say that where and what i mean by that is there are certain established promoters and venues and spaces that um it's criminal how little they pay the bands on stage, right? And we all know that. And I'm not laying the blame at any one single person or persons. It's everyone, really. It's like a blanket. It's the, well, it's, it's the entire industry. But the um, but when you have these shows where it's like, yeah, you're going to get £80 to do this and you're going to have like the best night of your life and you're going to play one of the best shows you've ever played because everybody in the room is so amped up for your performance and for you to be there with them. And they're ultra grateful that you've bothered to come to their small town. Right. Mm. And I'm, you know, I say this, I have a, I have a very London centric view on things Mm. because I am from and born and raised in London. Right. And you know those shows as i said they just transcend the money they transcend the pay and you know you will be able to survive and it won't cost you anything you know ideally it's not going to cost you anything and you're not going to make any money but the experience that you get from doing that you can't pay for that sustainable in a in a psychological sense right you're like this this is it this is it (laughs) this is this is the culture this is the subculture yeah, yeah, absolutely. How much do you want to talk about the King Blues? Because I'm totally happy to <laughs> to not. I'm totally happy to. We can we can leave it a kind of um, you know an ambiguous entity. Uh, I well, mean, it's um it's a thing that I did, and I don't hide it. I was a part of it for an awful amount of time. It's not something that I wish to dwell on too much, but given the uh, the nature of this 
of the podcast uh mm. yeah i mean it's part it's you know it's just kind of part of my story right so yeah, we, yeah. We, we can we can chat about it well, one of the things that we talked about that we went for a coffee the other week uh, 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 was was like that sort of big house that you that you lived in and i can imagine that's mm. that's largely positive memories of being together and having this this new thing and um you know by the time i found out about the band you'd you'd made that album um mm-hmm. and the first album with with pete miles who yeah you know i think in our i knew from you know howard's alias and that kind of burgeoning ska punk scene that was sort of mm-hmm. kind of uh you know five years ahead of my time i suppose but it was like all those bands were touring 40 dates in the uk it's like that like talk about sustainability though in those small towns those are the bands that were doing it yeah um so i, I wonder did you go into that route where it was like okay this is this is what we do now we're just going to go on on tour even though we don't really sound like those bands we're definitely in the culture in the politics in the socio uh fabric of that of you know of of that vibe if i could use the v word um <laughs> what, what was what was your story getting into that and kind of getting onto that like you know so that. it was like I was quite young. I was the youngest member of the band, right? And in our crew, I was one of the uh, younger people. And um, essentially, it was kind of this... I didn't really know much about how the industry worked or like on a grassroots level or even on a a larger level than that. I learned that as we did it. But the the, the one thing you kind of know is like, it's that sort of classic here's three chords, go write a song, go mm. play that song to people. Mm. So from my perspective, that's what we did. And yeah, you know, there's this, there is this like tried and tested path in DIY. And there are people and seeing, going back to what we say, there are these scenes that exist and you reach out to them and you say, hey, we're a band and this is what we sound like. And can we come and do a show? And that was it. And then you just, you know, you stitch it all together and again like you know i wasn't responsible for doing that bit i you know i I didn't know how arguably i still don't know how to ask a promoter for a show i don't know what you're meant to do there um but it was essentially like there's this there's, there's this path right and the bands that i like have all gone down that path so that's what we're gonna go and do and that's what that's what we did and you know we we started playing shows and again i think for for the king blues thing a lot of um back in the under the fog era of the band a lot of what made that band work was the fact that we did play a hell of a lot of shows and we often played way outside our comfort zone whether that be like a strictly like hip-hop night or a strictly acoustic night so you did that stuff as well as the like because like you know the filaments massively come to mind and mm-hmm. playing outside the mixer the good mixer in camden not, yeah i, mean, I, was, I, oh, I yeah. Saw, saw that on myspace photos i was too young to go but i didn't know you played hip-hop hip-hop nights as well yeah yeah i mean again i can't i can't claim to be the one who who arranged any of that i want that wasn't me but it was it a large thing that helped that band in my opinion and myself was the ability and the want to play outside of our comfort zones but being the style of music we played particularly again in that first 
album acoustic very acoustic very scar orientated uh record um so, it, ac- so accessible wasn't it well it's it, just, it? yeah it, I mean, it, it allowed us to be um to kind of fit in in a lot of different places and it was like it was in like in retrospect it's quite intriguing to me that it made sense yeah, albeit like somewhat you know uh at the time, there were probably some smirks on people's faces when you get like, you know, two, three or four, depending on the lineup, guys turn up with like two acoustic guitars and a ukulele plugged into a 5150 um, in a, a scout hut. And we're playing with like Among the Missing and, you know, all of those, all of those hardcore bands. So that, right. I'm, I am actually referencing a, a particular show there as well. And yet it still translated and then it could also translate into like like a strictly mc hip-hop night um and i think the 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 thing the thing that a lot of those audiences had were was um was the respect to like that we got up and did that thing and went out of our comfort zone and that gave us you know that that gave us kind of time uh, but the band, you know, the band could fit into those spaces. That freedom is really empowering, and we got that as fans. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it translated really, really well. Did you, did you take it seriously quite quickly? Was it like, was it gang mentality? It, it certainly sort of seems like that from the outside. Yeah, it was a huge gang mentality, which at the time was very exciting and very, uh, you know, like the world felt like we could we we you know it felt to me like we could conquer it right yeah um and yeah we were you know, we were real serious about it um really serious we took it absolutely seriously um in retrospect that kind of um that kind of approach is one that i wouldn't do again um it's it it takes its toll, right? And mm. there's... Um, it's exhausting, right? Well, it's it's exhausting, but it also brings out the real worst in in, in, a lot, in people in general. Like, um, I, for my own, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't want to do that because it just... The level of sacrifice, I don't think, needs to exist anymore. It kind of fits into this, like, tortured artist kind of narrative, right? And the quicker the quicker the music industry breaks away from this and people realize that, you know, to be in a band, you don't have to sacrifice your entire well-being and mental health and the health of other people. You know, it, it, it just, it turned, it turned real toxic real quickly. And in retrospect, a lot of that, those seeds were planted very early on. Were you working all the way? No, like, so (laughs) I am, I like, I haven't had many serious jobs in my life, right? Um, so my first job was um, I was doing my A levels, and I grew. So I grew up in um, Woodgreen, and uh, which is a, a, a fairly blank suburb of North London. It's really, like, is blank, isn't it? It's quite blank. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's very like, pale grey. It just, it just, it just, it's just a bit now, you know, it's like, yeah. it's kind of broke, but it's right, it, like at the time it was right next to Tottenham where if there was real, like real poverty going on. And, yeah. you know, we, we, 
we had ups and downs during my childhood. There were moments where we were fine. And then there were moments where my mother was literally knocking on the door of our neighbors for eggs to make us omelets because we didn't have anything, right? Um, and then, you know, I went to school in Crouch End um, at Muswell Hill and they're very affluent areas. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I was like doing my A-levels. I, were, I was going to school at Highgate Wood in Crouch End. Um, and and sorry, just to interject yeah. there, but like you know, go, going to A levels, that's that's quite like a, it's quite like a um, like not everyone does A levels, you know. Oh man, like I gave up my A levels halfway through, <laughs> like I like legit gave up. Like I was living by myself, which in retrospect, I don't know how that that came about, and it certainly wasn't the smartest idea. Um, like I was like seventeen or whatever. Like, it's ambitious. Yeah, it was. It's dumb. It's what it is. <laughs> um, and so, like you know. I didn't really go to school like as, as soon as I kind of could get away with having creative excuses as to not turn up in my classes. And I got like that little ounce of freedom. I just hung out in a local guitar shop. So I was there. I, I hung out there every single day. It was a place not there anymore. It's a place called Rock Around the Clock. Um, it was a very legendary guitar shop while it was while it was open. And one day I was just hanging out there so much. They were like, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, sure. Amazing. So I was doing that. And at the time I was playing in like some, like a crap pop punk band, which then turned into a not as crap, but still crap hardcore band because we realized that nobody would take us seriously playing pop punk. Um, and I was working in, in the shop and like, I had no idea, like my my life had no direction. It was just like, I do these things and I'm an idiot kid. So I'm just going to be an idiot kid and do these things. Very easy to plug into that uh, mindset, isn't it? Being into that, this kind of music. It feels like it is for a large part of that scene is for directionless people. Like I was at that time in time, the King blues kind of existed. I was asked to join. And at that point I was also playing a band called Ramroad the Offy, which was like a street punk band, which, um, uh was kind of shared members with the king blues um and we went on tour we had a tour booked i can't remember i want to maybe it was with like bar bar luck i can't remember um and i was really panicked i was like i don't wait, wait hang on how do i do this like i gotta go on tour and i gotta have a job and i i don't know what to do like i didn't know you had holiday i, yeah. I was a dumb kid i didn't know that these things i didn't know i had rights so I sort of told the the owner, but I, I explained it to her in this way where she thought I was quitting my job. So she was like, okay, it's time for you to go. And so that's what I did. And I went, oh, hang on, what am I going to do for money? <laughs> um, and like, so I just kind of kind of coasted for like two and a half years, maybe a bit longer without a job and just kind of being in a band and like sort of like dodging the landlords the best I could could and just like being just like like totally like like just like living by the absolute seat of my pants and just being like i have no fucking clue how i'm surviving like yeah. counting like the the literal counting change on the floor of my tiny bedroom in this house going hey i wonder if i can afford a bagel today yeah i'll have a bagel so wait was was rent all right because we all know like i pay 500 and that is the cheapest you're ever going to find. Well, this was back when you could like rent a place in Dawson for like, you know, a room in Dawson for like 
sub 300 pounds right right so it wasn't when it you know uh, it wasn't um as it is now so if you could pay like if you could play two shows a week three shows a week open mic stuff try and get 50 quid yeah i didn't do that like uh, what we, did you do we, then i just didn't pay rent like literally like <laughs> like literally it was that that's what i did in for full disclosure when we signed to universal and we got an advance we pay back every penny we owe to the landlords which i mean is maybe for a band that had a song called let's hang the landlord um maybe the most unpunk rock thing i could have possibly just said but hey you know that's <laughs> reality your life, of life. Baby. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know and then so kind of after that i sort of went from like like having this sort of job going on one tour and quitting my job i even we were signed to household name at the time and i remember lil turned around to me and went wait you quit your job for one tour and i was just like yes i don't want to talk about it anymore <laughs> um, so that that was kind of it and then you know then the king blue signed to the king blue signed to universal and we you know part of our advance we separate we separated into like a monthly paycheck and i was like oh oh okay i do this now and that's how i get paid Mm-hmm. um and that that carried through our career through universal to transmission recordings who did we did the same thing and then the the king blues um obviously imploded and i was like oh oh hey like i'm 27 and i don't know how to tie my own shoelaces and what the fuck is a job throughout all <laughs> that time obviously you know you, you grew up a little bit the organization of the band probably it's going to push you towards being a bit more like uh you know i guess smarter isn't it being a bit more on it was was there a part of you that thought well you know we do have downtime from tour and from writing we are getting this money i'm gonna actually get like a another thing on the side just so i can even just get some cream you know put away something that option I'm gonna try and say this without burying anybody and when I talk about the King Blues I don't want to bury anyone I'm using the pro wrestling term of bury there by the way um that was not an option like as far as I understood it and saw it we were 24 7 quite literally about that band and that was that was both a blessing and a curse so there was no like little side hustles there was no like there was no time where i could be me and go and do something else i was continuously like defined by and constricted by that band basically right because that you know that that's how that's just how it worked and i'm not again um i'm not saying that as a positive or a negative i'm not saying that as a good or bad thing i'm just saying it as that's what it was it's funny how susceptible we can be to environments whether that be a relationship whether that be at work whether it be a friendship group i mean Mm. the latter of which is probably the most common of all yeah absolutely i mean like i had to really do some work like you know again i i had some wonderful positive experiences with um with diy and punk rock and i still carry a lot of that stuff forward but i had to drop a lot of it 
because I'm, you know, me personally, I'm real susceptible to other people's opinions of me. So, and that translates to me to constantly be like, you deserve nothing and the, um, the want for the cash and prizes, if you will, um, isn't something that you're allowed. And so you shouldn't do it and you should have the least of everything. And I, you know, and I inherited that from that, from like DIY punk rock. And that's so I, not true, you know? Yeah. Right. And it's, and like, the thing is, it's, that's on me. Like, again, like the culture is fantastic as much as it is ultra toxic, right? It's stuff can be two things, but it's on me. I interpreted it that way and I took it that way. And it took a long time for me to like, kind of unpick that stuff um and in many ways i still sort of am unpicking that stuff is that something that you th that you find a redemption of sorts in doing teenage sequence the musical freedom is something that i really am happy to have and i guess like the lyrical freedom as well but really it's the kind of musical freedom and just to be like kind of free of like other people's expectations and i mean that like both like being my own band member the only expectations that i have to like put up with are mine and the only band member i have to argue with is me and that's plenty that's like <laughs> way more than enough i spend most of my time arguing with myself about stuff um but yeah yeah no the the, the freedoms that come with teenage sequence and also spending an awful amount of time away from making music has been a godsend, right? It's been absolutely wonderful, in retrospect. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. After the King Blues, I started Bleach Blood. And my publishers, Notting Hill Music, put me on a retainer. So, and I like, I, a big part of my, like, this whole story is me is, like, respecting money. Because I had zero respect for money because I just kind of skirted through life going, like, money's dumb and i don't have any so whatever i'll survive i did a bunch of stuff in the interim like i was writing for other artists i was on a retainer from my publishers i took that really took that for granted and how did that come about you hear about publishers i mean I've, it's come up quite a few on this podcast but it is it's, it's interesting because it seems behind the doors you know yeah well they, they you know they they signed us three of us out of the king blues as individual writers and then, you know, Transmission Recordings, the, uh, the label that the last two albums that I was involved in uh, was their label. And when it came to an end and I sort of sent them some demos of this, this dumb thing that I was doing, they were like, hey, we're really into this. So they signed it again. And then they signed me again to a publishing deal. But part of that was like to be like, okay, hey, um, we want you to go and do these writing camps and like write for other artists and, you know, and see what comes of that. Um, How into that stuff were you? Not <laughs> like, um, not at all. 
at the time i you know i was like again just like kind of like bouncing around in my own life so i was like yeah sure i'll go and do that i mean i could be very chameleonic right so i was just like yeah i totally want to be a top liner and write for other people and write and write pop songs but Mm. that shit is an art form and the people that are good at it are unbelievably talented but i can't do it like i can't i'm i'm a terrible ghostwriter i've done some stuff with a my friend's band in denmark called hero and they're like the only band that i really do any writing stuff for now and that, that's you know that's if you know christopher the, the the front man gets in touch with me and goes hey can you help me with the lyric i'm like yeah sure and we just we do it like that but um yeah it, it wasn't for me i just couldn't get my head around it was that like a big thing you know that you tried and it was like actually this isn't for me i mean how long were you trying it i did it for like the best part of like the best part of like a year or two um and i spoke a big game but i actually didn't really do much and you know it was like that was an experience i certainly learned a hell of a lot about how that uh like how like that commercial pop music train works and i learned to really have a level of respect for it and understand that the writers and producers and artists involved in doing that are tremendously talented it really helped me like understand that process which you know when you come from that like rock thing and you've got those cultural borders up of like oh hey rock and oh pop music's not real music i hate the term not real music you know mm. no one gets to define what is and isn't real music it's a mm. horrible saying um but um i i learned like tons about that and I, but the main probably the main thing that i learned was it's not for me i'm not very good at it you mentioned talking about like talking the big game is that was that a big part of it looking in retrospect oh yeah absolutely you know like my big, like bigging yourself up talking yeah like because like, I, I didn't have anything else going on in life right so i was just like oh i got this thing and i'm just gonna ram it down people's throats you know yeah it's like large largely ungrounded ego for a few years right that was me and i i, I say that because it's it's just the truth and actually like taking my the i i I took a job working for my uncle and he had a greasy spoon cafe on leather lane called chino's cafe and it was the the food was great but like you walked in and you were covered with like a physical layer of grease that you could run your finger through it was it was horrid right um and i worked for him for like two months and that really took me down a peg or two because he's like a i love my uncle very much but he's a real stern man and he has no time for my nonsense and he has no time for my rock star bullshit it's like eggs and bacon table two why are you still standing there and i learned i learned a lot from that that was actually in between so the guitar shop that i was working in the the one that was on Bethnal green road i started there I got fired. I started working for my uncle. Then they rehired me. And then I um then I was there for a bunch of time. Then I left. 
And then I came back again. Then that place closed. And then uh, lockdown one happened. Did you enjoy working the guitar shop stuff? Uh, yes and no. Like I, being in like the East London thing was really, was really cool because I got to meet a lot of like amazing, noteworthy musicians, right? Um, and because of the, 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 the high caliber of the stock that we had, I get to meet and got to play some of these like dream instruments. Um, so from that perspective, it was really great. And also, you know, I, 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 I got things for staff prices. So it was like, it made, you know, I could stock up on stuff. Um, and you were writing, you know, you're still playing guitar. Yeah. Like Bleach Blood was kind of coming to a close around about this. I mean, like that kind of leads to the negative aspect of working. So I guess working so close to the industry that you also are a part of from a different angle. It was really hard for me to care about wanting to make records or write music or even touch a musical instrument after spending my entire day selling them to people it was i just i like mm. i i it, i couldn't do it anymore but again everything kind of falls in place and i didn't know that i needed a break from doing that until i took a break and walked away from it and then it was it was like you know it was in that shop that we we started selling since and like it was there, I saw it was like, hey, maybe I could like learn how to play synths. Like I like, I like synthesizers. I like the sounds they make. I like the music and genres associated with that. Maybe I should learn how to play one of those. And that that's really what that that was one of like the sort of seeds that gave birth to Teenage Sequence. It was yeah. a, bit, a bit of a surprise. Was it was it a bit of a, a, a new love? Well, a rekindled love, right? So I, I, I found like dance music and in general, when I found music, like it was the same time when I was a kid and I started listening to my brother's records and like, like being, waiting up for the VH1 rock show with Tommy Vance and I was like at 11 o'clock maybe and you know I was a kid and 11 o'clock was super late and like I was like I would fall asleep waiting for it to come on on the sofa and then I'd wake up and sometimes you'd wake up and it'd be like oh hey that's a motorhead video or there's a reminds video or that's the cult and then every now and then it'd be like new order craft work and these like kind of more rock orientated um dance projects and, and and things that exist in that alternative sphere so i kind of fell in love with dance music the same time i fell in love with music but when i you know when i got into punk rock um again i guess one of the more insidious sides of like genres learning about genres and like particularly in something as elitist as punk rock i sort of would I became very just like, oh, if it's not punk, it sucks kind of mm. guy. Mm. Apart from like, you know, ska, reggae and hip hop because they were deemed like acceptable genres to listen to if you were a punk kid of my yeah. age. Yeah. Um, and in that dance music, house, techno, like trance stuff, that wasn't as far as I could tell involved. And this is long before I knew about like, the Grebo movement or I knew about the roots of acid house and um, 
how it came from how the rave scene came from the squat scene and all of that stuff mm. Mm. so like yeah it wasn't it wasn't like a new love it was just picking up on an old love and being like like learning how to learning how to play a synthesizer for the sake of just learning how to play it because i didn't know how they worked yeah and instantly kind of going like oh hey well that's kind of cool and that could be a song and why don't i do this so you know for like a dance music purist teenage sequence is probably way too rock right and not dance enough and for rock purist teenage sequence is way too dance and most certainly not rock enough particularly in like a rock or pop sphere everything's been done and if you think you're doing something original there'll be thousands of people at the same time as you doing it who've done it before you but just not had the you know not broken with it and who will do it in the future thinking it's the most original thing in the world so i don't worry about that it's like does teenage sequence sound like lcd sound system yes yes it does does it sound like new order yeah yeah it does and <laughs> you know etc 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 like i can tell you the songs that i um ripped off and whether i'm uh, yeah. whether i did it on purpose by design or just like kind of like going hey that's really cool oh wait that kind of sounds like that yeah i'm okay with that um i'm way more interested now in like honesty in music i'm interested in hearing an artist's honesty and what that what that sounds like and what that looks like and with that i'm way more interested in exploring that in myself as an artist and being like what does my honesty sound like like what that's that's the important bit to me well thank you so much thanks for, for being up this chat it's, it's great to know i mean so much of that of those stories i had i had no idea you know it's, it's one of those things that you don't really doesn't you don't really necessarily talk about <laughs> right. is it? yeah yeah i don't think i told anybody i worked in a greasy spoon really my wife knows <laughs> like my uncle knows because he was there and very frustrated <laughs> with me um what were your best kind of eggs your favorite kind of eggs oh man to i make or to eat i like to eat that's a trick question because all eggs is good either all eggs are good or you're vegan right um <laughs> it's true yeah um uh, to cook at home i poach eggs at the cafe dude i wasn't there long enough to be allowed to grill stuff <laughs> like it was a good day if i didn't burn toast brilliant brilliant thank you so much my pleasure thank you for having me giles so there he is teenage sequence devon dean sumery all this art and the city is hungover is available now via get better records in the states and everything sucks music here in the uk see you next week here is Coxparrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue ass fly I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate Every bleeding minute I've been on the go This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast It is Ryan here and I have a question for you What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.